Welcome to Law X.0, a Bloomberg Law podcast dedicated to seeing around corners and preparing you for the next version of the legal industry. In your office, who plans the parties? Who is tasked with taking notes in a meeting? Who takes on that unglamorous, time-consuming work that no one wants to do? Those tasks are examples of non-promotable work. It's work that needs to get done, but it isn't going to get you promoted. It's sometimes known as office housework, and if you're the one doing it, it could be holding back your career. If you're an employer, how you delegate it could get you sued. I'm Meg McAvoy. And I'm Dory Goldstein. And today we're talking about office housework. We're going to look at why it matters, how the legal landscape around it is shifting, and share the results of a little experiment we did in the Bloomberg Law Analysis Unit. But before all of that, Meg, I think you have an announcement. I do. Uh, I am pregnant. Uh, My husband and I are expecting our first child. We're going to have a baby girl coming up here soon in January. Congratulations. I'm just so happy for you. Thank you. And I I hope you know that everyone at B-Law is just so happy for you. And I hope we showed you how in your office baby shower. (laughs) You definitely did. Uh, We'll be telling you all more about my shower later in the episode, because in an effort to avoid doing any office housework, uh, which I totally support, (laughs) Dory had some of our male colleagues plan the baby shower. That's right. I am an employment lawyer, and this is a topic I've been looking at for a long time. And I wanted to just show that these are tasks that anyone can take on and anyone can do a great job at. So we'll check in later and let you know how that went. Uh, And we'll hear from guests at the party and one of the party planners at the end of the episode. But first, we're going to be doing something a little bit different this week. I'll be serving as co-host and co-guest. I've worked on employment law issues for over 10 years, and I have a lot to say about office housework. So you'll hear what I think. And we interviewed Cindy Ann Thomas, She's a principal at Littler Mendelssohn and co-chair of the firm's EEO and diversity practice. Here's how Cindy Ann explains what makes a task office housework and when assigning it becomes a problem. And these are essentially tasks that don't help you in being considered for stretch assignments or help you to build new and relevant skill sets for your organizational role or duties that will support a bump in pay. And I'm, I'm not suggesting that these tasks are not important for a neat and tidy or collaborative environment, but too many of them distributed amongst too few people of the same gender in an organization is problematic. So, Dory, from that, it sounds like this isn't really about the little tasks. This is really about sex discrimination. Exactly. It's about how employers delegate tasks, whether they're doing it intentionally or unintentionally. They're doing it by gender. But it's even more complicated than that. Here's Cindy Ann again. Even within the female demographic, race adds another layer of complexity. So women of color will be more often looked upon to attend to certain tasks by not only men, but by other women as well, who are typically either white or intraracially just differently complected. And and women of color are absolutely voluntold to do office housework more than white women. So I agree with Cindy Ann on this. Non-white women bear the brunt of it. It can be a major reason that employers have trouble retaining women of color in the workplace because employees who don't feel valued, they leave. Huh. 
Uh, is this a problem for men ever? Are men ever tasked with office housework, or is this just falling on women? Well, it usually falls on women, but it can absolutely happen to men. It's just the type of tasks that are usually assigned to men are different. Taking out the trash, changing the water cooler, um, working in a dangerous area, or undesirable hours, all of those for men can constitute office housework. Hmm. So from the examples you've already mentioned, this idea of office housework seems like it's a pretty broad term. How would you define it? It, it is pretty broad because I think it really depends on the particular person in the job, their job description, the industry. All of that can go into defining something as office housework. I like to think of them it more as non-promotable tasks rather than office housework because it's not always about cleaning. It can be, you know, we talked about taking notes in a meeting or creating a new way to log customer calls. Mm. You know, if you think about it this way, if you're an event planner and part of your job is to plan events in your office, planning an office baby shower is not office housework. Huh, sure, exactly. Right? On the other hand, if you're a lawyer, planning a party, uh, is that would be different. Yeah, that's office housework. Sure. <laughs> um, is this something that that you think is happening in the legal industry? I mean, I can't I can't imagine a female big law partner putting up with this. It's usually associates, but yeah, I think it is. And we asked Cindy Ann the same question, and this is what she had to say. She was pretty blunt. Yes, this practice transcends industry. It's happening in law firms. It's happening in corporate legal departments as well. In addition to that, a recent ABA study found that. 82% of the big law managing partners they talked to felt that they were active advocates for gender inclusion and diversity, but only 62% of the women at those firms agreed. Now, we don't know why there's that disconnect, but something's causing it. And I think that office housework could be playing a contributing role. So what is the legal and compliance angle here? Uh, can employers really be sued because they're giving out these tasks? So traditionally, courts have been pretty reluctant to find gender discrimination just based on office housework. Um, we asked Cindy Ann, and here's her take on it. So I won't go so far as to say that placing the burden of office housework on women is in and of itself an illegal practice, especially if there is insufficient proof that they are not getting compensated or that it's not being taken into consideration. However, as very good research indicates, if women are being unduly tasked with work that has little or no visibility or impact, and it is taking them much longer to advance in their careers in an organization, I can certainly see the foundation for a credible disparate impact argument. Okay, so she's saying that it's the result, the outcome of the office housework, i.e. the lack of, of people getting promoted or the pay disparities that are what la are landing employers in court. It's not, it's not the housework itself. Right, that's exactly it. Um, I think that's been the case for a really long time. It's not that we weren't seeing office housework come up in gender discrimination lawsuits. It's just that we were seeing them to use used to support another claim, like pay discrimination or just uh, failure to promote or something like that. Hmm. Okay. But I do think that's changing. Oh, really? Uh, how? So I think we're going to start seeing office housework take more of a central role in these sex discrimination claims. I, look, I'm, I'm not saying that if you have to plan one office baby shower, you have a claim for sex discrimination under Title VII. That's not what I'm saying. Hmm. I, I just think that if an employer is delegating work 
based on outdated gender stereotypes and is doing this as a pattern of practice, I think we're coming to a place where that's going to be enough on its own to really form a claim of sex discrimination. Hmm. And I think the reason that this is changing is really a lot because of Me Too. Me Too is this huge cultural shift where I think women would walk away when they were in situations like this before. It was just easier and you'd have a lot better luck finding a different job than trying to change your work environment. But now with Me Too, I think that there's more hope and women feel more empowered to try and change the situations that they're in. So I think that's that's causing people to think about it a little differently. And I think as we see this talked about more and claims like this start to come up more, I think that the courts are going to be more willing to fine for plaintiffs. Hmm. Uh, and so are you actually seeing more of these cases percolate? Are you seeing more office housework cases? So there's two high-profile recent examples that I want to talk about. Uh, the first one is Nancy Saltzman. Nancy Saltzman was the GC of a data analytics company, and she is suing for gender discrimination and retaliation. In her complaint, she alleges that at an office party, the CEO of the company directed her and the other women in the office, I think there were four of them, to serve cake to the male employees. Ooh. Yeah. (laughs) Saltzman described the incident as humiliating, and I kind of get it. Mm. The icing on the cake for Saltzman, (laughs) forgive me, is that when she complained about gender discrimination, she was fired. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Pro tip for an employer, if someone complains about discrimination, don't fire them on the spot. <laughs> Just, that's, some, that's some free advice Just, right uh, there. So, some free advice right there. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and what about the second high-profile case you mentioned? Oh, that's the Robert De Niro lawsuit. Oh, I think, I, so I think I've read a little bit about this one. It is pretty headline-grabbing. If you haven't read about it, uh, Robert De Niro and his former employee are suing each other over many things. But among those things, she alleges that De Niro treated her like his office wife and expected her to perform tasks like folding laundry and picking out gifts for his kids, all tasks he never asked of male employees. Huh. Interesting. I mean, certainly these these cases, they, they sound interesting, and if the allegations are true— are proven to be true. They they sound awful. But these aren't decided cases. They're still in the early stages. So why should employers be focusing on them? Shouldn't they focus on sort of bigger, potentially more expensive problems like the pay gap? Well, yes. If an employer has a pay disparity, please, right now, fix it. Don't wait. <laughs> you don't need me to tell you to fix that. Uh, but if you do have problems with office housework, it's usually a sign that something deeper is wrong. Managers are making decisions based on outdated stereotypes. That's mm. just not a sign of a healthy workforce. So I'm betting if it's happening, you're having other compliance problems and you're having retention issues. Hmm. What about, um, so in terms of employers' approach, what about if they just ask for volunteers for these tasks? Does that solve the issue? You know, um, I guess maybe. I don't love the solution of asking for volunteers. You really have to be sure that people feel comfortable and genuinely can say no. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more social pressure on women to be agreeable, especially black women, uh, who tend to run into this awful negative stereotype if they're not overly friendly in the office. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you do ask for volunteers, please be aware of that and try to find ways to work around it. 
And the other problem is that women tend to volunteer for things more. Hmm. We know that. We don't know why it's happening. Uh, so if you rely just on volunteering, you're probably going to end up delegating a disproportionate amount of this stuff to women. Hmm. So we asked Cindy Ann what she thought employers should do, and here's what she had to say. They need to identify the problematic work in question. Make a list of the tasks, regardless of how infrequently you think they are being asked of team members. Second, they have to do one of two things. They either need to ensure that those tasks are included in the appropriate job role and outlined in the corresponding job description so that there are no surprises for the person in that role down the road. Or, alternatively, let's say this kind of specificity is not feasible. Rotate the tasks that need to be attended to amongst the members of the appropriate team with some kind of an equitable system. I don't care what that is. Maybe it's alphabetical. Maybe it's a monthly lottery. And Dory, what about if you're the employee? How do you stop these requests or turning down these requests from derailing your career? You know, it's great to say no if you can. If you're the employee, I think you're in the best position to judge how that'll go over in your office. It's not always easy. Um, if you want to soften it by suggesting someone else to do it, maybe somebody who's more senior or who hasn't done a lot of that type of work, or you could consider trying to bring someone else onto the project that maybe you want to network with or connect with, and then at least you'll be getting something out of it. Hmm. Or, or, you know... You could plan a podcast episode around it. <laughs> right. Yeah, we're <laughs> we're unique, uniquely situated to deal with these issues here. We really Lawrence are. Plano. Yeah. So here in our office, we came up with a pretty clever solution to one office housework problem. Let's check in on what happened when the men in our office planned my baby shower. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for coming to Meg's baby shower. We're so excited for it. So what did you think of your baby shower that was planned by our male analyst? I thought it was great. It, yeah? it was perfect. It, it was everything. It was more than I would have imagined an office baby shower to be. We had the pink tablecloths. We had the bubble tea. The theme was on point. There were there was a trivia game. I got to spend time with my coworkers. The food was awesome. It was it it was so much more than I could have asked for. Aw. I know they're going to be thrilled to hear that. <laughs> I did interview some of the guests at the party, and they agreed with you. Uh, here's what they had to say. They did awesome. It's a lot of fun. Brightly colored. There's decorations. I'll say the most impressive is that spread of food over there. Yeah. There's shrimp cocktail. There is shrimp cocktail. I, I'm impressed. Lots of games. Each table has something different going on. So there is a lot of pink, but it looks really good. So, by the way, how did the male analysts react? How did they find the whole planning process? Were they just miserable? I interviewed Bob Combs, who really took the lead, and uh, here's what he had to say about it. Okay, so how was it? Well, it's, it's, how was it? Be honest. Okay, I, I, I kind of loved it. I mean, it, <laughs> really? was, it was, it was, it was like a work project. Right. And I mean, I certainly took the time to make it a work project. I mean, it was like, you know, okay. I've got this job, but I'm going to be doing this part of my job now. And so <laughs> That's so great it's, he, that he said he loved it. That's great. He did, but, but. Um, then I asked if he'd recommend doing this to others, and the topic of our office holiday party came up. And here's what he had to say about that. Uh, uh, they just announced that it's happening, and, and uh, one of our bosses said, are there any volunteers to help set up? I'm like, there's no way. I'm not doing this again <laughs> for a long, long, long time. So... I, I say, yes, do it, 
but just don't be caught up in doing it because honestly, once is enough for a while and then it's gotta be someone else that kind of takes over, I think. It's, I think it's gotta be a rotating thing, honestly. I totally agree with him. It, it, it's, it would be too much. It has to be a rotating thing. I absolutely do too. I think yep. that's you know one of the biggest solutions that we've talked about today is that it should rotate. Yep. Okay, but I saved my favorite part of the interview for last. Here it is. So we just did our annual evaluations. Okay. Did you write about doing this on your annual evaluation? I did write about this. You did? I did, yes. Oh, that's I, so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you sound so shocked. I, I can't believe you put it on this annual evaluation. I can't believe you did either. Right. But it's so smart. Of course you should put this on your annual evaluation. Yeah. yeah. If you do the work, you need to get the credit. I know. I agree with you. Well, thank you so much to Bob Combs, Preston Brewer, and Brian Cassidy for planning a great baby shower for me. And thank you to everyone at B-Law for the wonderful send-off. This will be my last episode before my maternity leave. I'm looking forward to spending some time with the baby, but then getting back to all of you. Thank you to Cindy Ann Thomas for helping us out with this episode. If you want to hear more from her, you can find her on Littler's website, littler.com. If you want to see pictures from Meg's baby shower, find either me or Meg on Twitter. Law X.0 will be back in January with some fantastic guests and some fantastic guest hosts. We'll see you in 2020. Hi there, I'm Amanda Icone, co-host of Talking Tax. Each week, we dig into the biggest tax and financial accounting challenges and opportunities from policy to on-the-ground realities. We bring you corporate leaders, accountants, and industry insiders. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. For more, check us out on news.bloombergtax.com.